Welcome to Valley Community Church. Our Sunday sermons are available online to help you grow in your Christian faith. Our messages are practical and applicable truths from the Bible for today's life challenges. And now, Senior Pastor David Schmaltz. All right, well, we're going to uh, kind of turn a corner this morning, been in a series called The Way Forward. We're talking about developing a personal vision for your life and how that ties into a corporate vision. We've been talking about this quite a bit, actually. And the reason why is because of that verse there in Proverbs 29 that, of course, tells us that without a vision, the people perish. And so, man, when life and death is on the line, when it comes to spiritual life and death, it's pretty important that we really focus on what is our vision, and are we envisioned, and is it bringing us life? And uh, so I want to begin with Psalm 37, 3 through 5. It says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate, cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will do it. And just comment, commenting on that verse once again, just want to point out the fact that how it's so important that God does want us to be happy, that God w- wants us to enjoy a wonderful life. And, uh, and so, but it, 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 where that begins is a trust in God and listening to his word and focusing on his plan, which is so very important because in the end, his plans are always perfect. And uh, we want to pursue our own way, and often that leads to discouragement and confusion and uh, throwing off restraint, as uh, the NIV says there in Pro- for Proverbs 29. So over the past three weeks, we've been laying that foundation for going forward. And I want to really kind of pull things together here as we kind of turn the corner in preparation for expand here in just a few weeks. So God has a plan, and he uses everything in our life to bring forth that plan. So we've learned that, that everything works for the good. And he takes the pieces, even the broken pieces of our life, to create us for uh, a plan and how we will be purposed in this life. When we look at what Jesus taught, we realize that we should never, ever stress. Amen? We shouldn't stress. You know, one time I was confronted by that, by a a dear friend of mine. He's a pastor, and he's just one of those black and white kind of guys, and I was just talking about the things that had on the plate, and he goes, well, David, you know stress is a sin, I was like, wow. You know, he just hit me square between the eyes, and he's right. When we stress, ultimately we are sinning, because what are we not doing? We're not trusting. That's exactly right. And so it shouldn't really, I mean, it, we shouldn't play that tape. We shouldn't put our, our, our finger on that, that play button. Uh, but the moment we feel that stress come on, you know, we turn to God and just say, God, here, it's yours. So why worry? Matthew 6, 31, Jesus talked about that. You know, he says, look, why are you spending one moment on this? Don't you know I care for you and I'm going to take care of you? So God has a plan and it all works together for good as we tie those verses together. However, it is contingent to this plan. And what is contingent to this plan is our regular connection with God. It's important. We've learned that, that we've got to stay connected. And so because there is this thing that's called drift, relational drift, you see it in marriages, you see it in friendships, you know, you just, you you stop connecting with one another, you can drift. And it works the same way with God. Of course, God doesn't drift. 
<laughs> God is established. He will not be moved. So if there's any drifting, it's us. We get caught up in other currents, and those currents will take us away from the heart of God. So he wants to speak to us daily, and he wants to direct our steps, as it says there in Proverbs 3, verse 6. So here are some established truths. We're going through our notes this morning. There in Jeremiah 29, we quoted from it, but I'm going to read it. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. And I mean, we could just stop right there because I tell you, that is where a lot of confusion does lay in the hearts of God's people. Some of us think that God really just wants to make our life miserable by taking away our joys or, or making us, you know, um, carry the, 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 the cross from uh, all the way across the United States or to go and suffer and die in some uh, Ebola infested village somewhere. And yet, I mean, it may be something that, that people do experience, but it's definitely not the heart of God for his people. What he wants for us, of course, is his blessing. And when we read in here, it says, I want to prosper you, not to harm you. This is the heart of God. Plans to give you a hope and a future, okay? A hope and a future, which means long life, which ties right into the blessing when it says, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right, that you might enjoy long life on the earth. You know, this is the heart of God. Matter of fact, I would even say that these are established, established kingdom truths that, uh, that the whole earth, you know, revolves upon. And it says here, then you will call on me, and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. I will listen to you. You will seek me, and you will find me when you seek me with what? All of your heart. That's right. You've got to seek him with all of our heart. And it says here that I will be found by you. I love that. As God is not you know, hiding in such a way as we can't find him, in many ways he's right there out in the open with Jesus, isn't he? I mean, you can't go anywhere in the United States, practically anywhere in the world, where you can't find a church nearby or a phone call or just one click on the internet, you, Jesus can be found, am I right? More than any other time in history, he can be found. And he says that. He declares it. And he says, and I will bring, bring you back from captivity. And of course, this had a specific uh, interpretation, but it also has an ongoing interpretation for all God's people. <clears throat> I love that, that he'll bring us back from captivity because, you know, that happens to us, doesn't it? We get a little lost from, from time to time, and that's all been a part of our, <coughs> excuse me, been a part of our journey is that we do go through wildernesses. So here are some established truths as I go through them very quickly. God has a wonderful plan for his people, right? We can learn this plan by drawing close to him. We can know this plan. John chapter 5, these things are written that you might know that you have eternal life, that you might know that you have it. And so I think a lot of people are confused. They say, well, can anybody know? Of course you can know. God wants to share it, settle it in your heart. We need to trust him as his plan is unveiled, even if it brings some difficulty along the way. And we often find that, that, you know, it's, it's not always a bed of roses. It, it, sometimes the, the way that God has called us to is not the most popular way. Have you found that to be true? You know, Jesus described that. He said, narrow is the way. And yet he talks about the way that most people are taking, like our I-95, man, it's going. People are coming and going on that. But what the kingdom of God is like a little cart path. 
And you look at it and say, I don't know, man, I can't see what's across, you know, around the bend. But God says, no, this is the way I've called you to. The way least traveled. But the way that brings the most joy, the most peace. And then after patience, as we, you know, as we trust in God, as we wait upon God, because sometimes what we've learned from Joseph's life and from David's life, that it may take some time for God's purposes and plans to be you know, to unfold. Matter of fact, some of the greatest things take time, you know, to develop. You know, you, you, I planted a cherry tree in my yard. I put it in there. And Aaron, you love this, because Aaron, man, every tree he plants, it's got fruit on it somewhere, isn't that right? He loves doing that. So I put a cherry tree in my yard. And, and just like, you know, how my kids would be, especially my four-year-old, he walks up and goes, well, where's the cherries? <laughs> it's a cherry tree. Where are the cherries? And hey, it makes sense. You know, so we come to church, and the pastor talks about blessing. The pastor talks about this, that, and the other thing. We read in the Bible, where's the blessing? Well, it takes time to do what? It takes time to grow. There's seasons of growth, growth and, and fruitfulness. We were walking. I just love this. We were walking yesterday through the park, and I go on bear hunts with the kids. Of course, we don't ever find any real bears, but you know what I mean. And we saw this little, uh, this little apple tree that was just a little wild apple tree, and we looked at it. We had a lot of fun. We picked it. I bit into it, make sure it wasn't poisonous, and... And man, they, and they had at it. But it was in season, wasn't it? It was in season. It was ready, ready to be eaten. And so we're learning that. We're learning. We've got to be patient. Because, see, we can receive many wonderful fulfillments, fulfillments to his wonderful promises. But how many do we forfeit because we bail out on God? You know, we go to the bank rather than to the Holy One of Heaven who owns all things. We go to different things, you know, and we bail out on God when God says, just be patient, wait, 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 trust. Put your full hope in me. So these are established truths that we've been learning. So what is next? It's important that I share with you over this next month in preparation for our expand celebration. What is next on the docket for us? Because that, that, that's, that's my job, is to hear from God, keep us moving, what it is that he has for it. And what I'm discovering, it's, it's bigger than me. It's bigger than us, which is okay, because I think that's where God wants to lead us. You know, when the Israelites took off and, and he started to promise them that they were going to have a land of their own, I'm sure they had a very difficult time imagining that. But every day, they followed the fire, they followed the cloud, because they trusted God. God has a plan for us here at Valley too, and we just need to follow him. Because I think that's the way God likes it. God will not and rarely ever gives us, you know, he might give us a snapshot, but we just need to follow obediently. So one of the things that we're learning here at Valley and that we're, we're wanting to really inculcate and put into our foundation right now is to understand that this is the way God works. And you can find it right there in the book of Exodus. And so, you know, on a grand scale, it, the, New, the Old Testament often has for us these pictures, uh, these stories that have such a, an ongoing prophetic application. And the whole story of the Exodus is one of those things. And so we can really just put ourselves in, into that story, which is amazing. So the Israelites, the people of God, they're rescued, they're placed in the land of Goshen. But during that time, and of course that is Egypt, and what does Egypt re represent in the scripture? It's the world. It's the world and all of its trappings. And they're the people of God. I mean, God used the world 
to help them grow. And it, but there was a time that came, okay, it's time for you to move on. It's time for you to come into your destiny. It's time for you to get out of that place, the nurturing place, the cradle over whatever you say. But in, in, even, in, in, in even that, it was becoming a snare. They were in slavery. And how many people are enslaved to the world system and don't even know it? Until after a period of time, you really begin to wake up and realize, man, I'm just, I'm just marching to that drum, and I'm, it's got me. So God says, look, I want to lead you out. So God provides that Savior, Moses, who comes and leads them out of Egypt. And so we see, again, this macro view that you can just see a, an individual Christian's life being played out in this story, and what we see is just this wonderful thing. And, and so we see four parts of it that I want to point out to us. That number one, that he brought them out of Egypt to establish what? A relationship. Okay? That's what he told Pharaoh. Moses came and said, and, and he says, look, I'm here to lead these people out because God wants to be with them. He wants them to learn how to worship. He wants to create, he wants to make them a people. Of course, Pharaoh's like, I don't even want to hear about that part. I mean, but that's what God told Moses to tell them and the Israelites. He wants to be with you now. And so the first part of their journey is coming out of Egypt. It's getting out of it. It's salvation. It's being led out of darkness. It's being taken out of this, this, this incubator of the world that God says, now look, it's time. I've got a plan and a hope and a future for your life, so it's time to come out. So we call that salvation. That's when we come. And if you're in this room today and, and, and you remember that moment when you asked Jesus Christ in your heart, you could feel yourself being let out of that darkness. You could see and feel God saying, okay, it's time. And the excitement and the passion of being a part of something new. Having no idea what that meant. It just meant going away. It meant moving away from that. I remember it, oh my gosh, distinctly because my, my conversion was so radical and just waking up the next day and just realizing my life will never be the same. And then when I went to high school and I began to hang out with my friends, I saw myself moving away. I was saved from the darkness and all the internal things that I was suffering. Now I'm seeing light and I was so excited. That's the first part of our journey. The second part, as you see with the Israelites as well, is God's presence. In God's presence, they discovered a freedom by listening and obeying God's word. See, once you get saved, once they came out of, the, the, uh, out of Egypt, God had to start working some things in them. God had to, he began to show them his law. He began to show them, look, this is, I want to take you out of that darkness because there's a whole lot of Egypt in you. And man, you find it in the story because every time you turn around, those, those, those uh, Israelites, man, they complained about everything. Man, they said, look, look and, and, and the first thing that came out of their mouths, you remember what they used to say? Let's go back to where? Hey, let's go back to Egypt. At least we could, we could die there with, I mean, we hated what we were doing, but at least, you know, we weren't going to die. And he, that was the appeal every time. Moses, have you brought us out here to die? Have you brought, I mean, at least we had a meal back there. You see, God used all that. God brought him to himself to get them to do what? To trust God. When they didn't have any water, Moses struck the rock and he provided the water. When they didn't have any food, matter of fact, when their backs were up against the wall, he opened and divided the sea, right? 
I mean, miraculous things. By the way, very, real, real quickly, do you know you can, you can go to, uh, and check it out, go to Google, Google Maps or Google Earth and go to the Red Sea and you'll see the different forks in the Red Sea and you'll find a place, if you zoom in on it, you're gonna, you can actually see what, what a lot of archaeologists now believe was the actual place where Moses crossed. And you can see it. You can zoom right in on it. And it's all this rock face and then this little outcropping of sand that's perfectly level, that, that exactly, to almost, I mean, right to the number of two million people could have stood and launched off across that. Why, it's so cool. Go check it out, man. I should bring it up so you could see it. But God brought them into freedom. He began to show them that his truth and his ways would bring life. And so he brought the law. He brought the moral law. And as they began to understand and embrace, it brought freedom into their life. That's God's purpose. Okay? Actually, that should be number two, Tate. Because number one is salvation. Number two, freedom. Number three, they were made into a people and were given a hope. Okay? They were then gathered. And see, I mean, they were a people, but it was kind of through suffering. And of course, a lot of things can happen when we go through suffering. But God took them from that ragtag, you know, just really kind of secondary citizen Egyptians to making them into a nation, into a people. And so that's really the next stage that God wants to do with us. First of all, God wants to take us out of Egypt and he wants to bring us into salvation. He wants us to experience a relationship with God. And then he wants to begin to work freedom into us. Okay? And right here, God wants to give them what God was showing the Israelites is to show them purpose to show them their purpose. They began to tie into something which was an ancient promise. God began to tell Moses, look, we've been here before, and it's a part of your, your folklore. It's a part of your story. If you'll all dig deep, you'll remember that I spoke to your father Abraham, and I spoke to his son Isaac, and then I spoke to his son Jacob, and then I spoke to Joseph, and then it all just kind of loaded up right there, and he says, but I'm resurrecting this promise. And that is you're going back to the land that I want to give you. And through that land, I'm going to bless all nations of the earth. That goes all the way back to Abraham. Remember, God spoke to me and said, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. So this promise continues to go forward with the people of God. But God said, look, I got to get you out of that darkness and then we got to work in your life to get you free so that you can understand your purpose. Because look, that's where a lot of Christians get stuck. And this is where the Israelites got stuck. Man, because they remember what happened to them. They got right up to that river. They got right up to that Jordan River. And they went over and, they, and what, what scared them were the giants. Remember that? And they said, we look like grasshoppers in their eyes. And so what came up was fear. And so God said, well, man, I've got to put you right back into the, the cooker of life. 20 more years in the desert. Mm-mm. They weren't able to come into their purpose quite yet. And then finally, the fourth phase is that for them to become a blessing to the peoples of the earth. And we know that eventually they did become a nation. And we know, of course, it took hundreds and hundreds of years to see it all play out. But then one day, the Son of God is born. 
And this people, they bring forth the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. And he goes on to become the blessing to every nation, tribe, and tongue. Amen? That was them. That was their call. That was part of their journey. Now, of course, we know that as a nation, they still don't even understand all of that today. Now, every day that goes by, more and more Jews are coming to Christ. Won't get into all of that. But they, that was their call, was to become a blessing to the peoples of the earth. And you know what? They still are. They still are. You know? And they're a blessing to the whole world, including Western nations. You know? Even though there are so many that would like to see the Jews destroyed, and yet, they continue to be that blessing to the earth through technology. You know, I don't know if you've read articles that way, but if we decided to destroy Israel and the whole world turned against them, against them which would be, of course, an abomination to God, but if that did happen, forget about your cell phones. Most of the technology came from Israel. Forget about, you know, certain things with GPS. Forget about certain major breakthroughs in health and heart and brain surgery. All these things, most people don't understand, coming through God's people. Innovations of all kinds. Where does that come from? God said, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. So, there's still a blessing. But what was that? First of all, God had to save them out of that darkness. Then he had to bring freedom into their life so that they could understand that, they're, you know, that they had to get rid of that Egypt. There was still some stuff in them. And then they came into their purpose. They came into that nation. And when they became a nation, they began to make a difference. They began to change the world. So what about us? Let's, let's, let's pare this down specifically to us. Yes, we've got to have salvation. John 3.16 makes it very clear that God sent his son so if you're in this room today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your, your Savior and your Lord, now I'm not just talking about, we talk about Savior and Lord, we're talking about a Savior, yes, that you can go to heaven and that you have a place, eternal life. But Lord is different. Lord means that you live the rest of your life in a relationship, saved from darkness, but, pre prepare, uh, be, but prepared for so much more. See, God wants to draw us out of Egypt. And what is our Egypt? Well, it's this world system that we're in. Okay? To be in the world, but not of it. To be in this world and not of it. That's, that's Bible right there. That we'd be able to, you know, continue to exist, but yet somehow, now even though God took them completely out of Egypt. This is what is kind of unique in our story is that God has led us out of the world, but then he puts us right back in it so that we can infect it. We can spread this very love. Of course, that gets into the next points here. So when Jesus came, he began to preach the truth that, that set men free there in John 8. We need more than just the knowledge of salvation. You know, I hear, I hear people talk, oh, well, he's saved. He's saved. You know, he's living like hell, but you know what? He's saved. And you know what? I mean, yes, we can take comfort in that when it comes to family members and friends and, and whatnot, but I tell you what, God has so much more, so much more. He wants us to, do, to experience freedom because the truth is, until we experience the freedom that Christ brought through the truth of his word, we're not likely ever even going to get anywhere 
close to our purpose or even being able to make a difference. For the most part, a lot of people are just being, you know, they're just holding on, you know, when we all get up yonder. But the truth is that's not what God's heart was for his people, the Israelites, nor for us, and even more so, not for us. Jesus came preaching freedom. That was his message. He said, I've come to bring truth. And it was cutting across their life. It was like a tractor that was cutting up row after row deep into the hearts of the people. It went deeper and deeper and deeper. See, we can't experience freedom until we get Egypt out of our hearts. Okay? So we need to experience that freedom if we're going to experience our purpose. Thirdly, what does it mean to us? We've been made into a people called the church. We've been led out of darkness. Our lives, when we come together as a church, what we do is we each bring journeys. We all come from different parts of this this world or this Egypt that we we live in. We all bring that with us. And and God says, you know, be separate, you know, and come together. And when we come together, then we bring our gifts. We experience freedom. We can help us, you know, experience that freedom. We can minister and pray for one another. I mean, just read through the epistles, and you'll see that's exactly what Paul over and over and over again encouraged the church to do. He says, look, come together and encourage one another. You know, you know push past each other's weaknesses, love one another, and, but, but do not create an environment where you tolerate sin. You know, you need to keep each other accountable. And so the, what, the, what it was is the church became, a, and it's supposed to be, a, fle- a freedom a freedom, a freedom center, a place where we're growing in God. We're not, we're not tolerating sin. We're not, you know, stepping around it. You know, uh, in the church growth movement today, there's a lot of accusation that is coming to say, you know, you got your bright lights, you got your wonderful music, but nobody's really pre- preaching on sin anymore. And, and there's, there's probably a lot of truth in that. But, you know, we're not here to judge. We're not here to condemn. Because Jesus didn't come to do that either. He came to bring life. So, together, though, when we discover freedom, we need to help each other get there. But we don't need to ignore it. We don't need to just walk around and tiptoe around one another and just say, well, man, they're, gosh, they still have a lot of Egypt in them. We can, the best thing we can do is to discover what our purpose is, have that, I was made for this kind of mentality, serving God, and we look at that and say, man, they got a lot of life and passion in them. What is it, that, what is it about them? And we can say, what, what it, oh man, well, man, I was bound in addictions. Jesus set me free. I was toying with certain sins in my heart, and I knew if I was going to go forward, I had to deal with this stuff. And that becomes a testimony. That becomes you know, more of the rule than the exception. That becomes something that we experience on a regular basis. See, when the church begins to kind of tiptoe around that and we never really get to, because see, a lot of times churches, all they want to do is talk about sin, but they never provide any kind of solution to get out of it. Well, we have the solution, Jesus. But we can help one another through by praying for one another confessing our sins one another that we might be healed, laying hands on, and even in some cases casting that darkness out. It might, might come to that. 
so to experience that freedom. And then it opens that door so that we can become the church that God has called us to be. We're brought in from all walks of life, bringing our struggles, our battles, our failures, our victories, our families, our heritage, our brokenness. And all together to do something for one purpose. And we have a part to play. What is your part? And then finally, what, is our, what, is our, what's our, what can we take away in that fourth piece? Is that we're called to reach the nations together. See, the greatest movement on the planet is to help God get his kids back. You've heard me talk about that quite a bit. And, and I can't, I mean, I can't express it enough. And, and I just really want to speak right into the hearts of, of, of even folks that have been here at Valley for many, many years, or if you've been walking w- with God for a long, long time. I know how easy it is for us sometimes to get bored with the process. That sometimes we can just say, well, man, I remember the good old days. We can begin to lose kind of our, our, our fresh passion. I mean, I've been there after walking with God 30-some-odd years. I mean, I know that. But what brings new life to me, what brings me right back to it, into the heart of God is when I look at him and just say, God, what is your heart? And he says, we're not done yet, David. We're not finished. Would you, would you help me? Because the devil is still out there deceiving a lot of people. And there are still a lot of people that every day, did you know, the, how does it go? I think it's every 40 seconds, if, I, if I'm getting my stats right, every 40 seconds, somebody commits suicide. Every 40 seconds. And add to that, I mean, so, gosh, eternity has got some revolving doors, man. And we should be standing right at those revolving doors, shouldn't we? Doing everything we can to be able to share the love of Jesus but that won't happen unless we say, God, here, I am, here am I, send me. Help me to have an, a heart that's open, to be ready to speak into the life that somebody in the valley, you know, but sometimes we get so caught up, we're still fighting with this freedom issue that we really can't get onto our purpose. Okay? But God, again, wants us to make a difference. We know that. We've been over this many, many times. Our God is love. His ways are perfect. His plans are right. And his vision for our earth is set. We're called to make a difference. We're called to be a blessing to the valley, to do what we can to improve the life of those around us with the vision that we receive from God. And, that's that, that, and, I, and I'm getting ahead of myself just a bit, but that's what this expand is going to be all about, is us continuing to move forward to be able to be a blessing to our community and create a larger base so that we can reach more nations. And I'm not talking just necessarily people, although you've got to have more people to do it. Or, better yet, the people you have, everybody on board. So, now these are going to cut a little bit, so hang in there. Hold on to the sides of your seat. That's why they're big and patty. Just hold on. If you are fomenting hatred in race relations... You're not helping. You're, you're working with somebody else. If you're cursing our city with reckless words, you're not helping. If you litter our community with trash and tear down and destroy our public properties, you're not helping. If we steal through dishonest gain, we're not helping. If we sit and watch TV more than we use our gifts 
to advance the kingdom of God, they're not helping. If we spend more time on non-kingdom hobbies or activities, more than we use our God-given gifts, we're not helping. And if we choose to sit and watch rather than engage and change the world, certainly not helping. That's hard. But sometimes, see, that's where truth, truth has to hit us between the eyes. And truth is not, see, a lot of times we think that truth, all that it does is just defends us, and and it will. (laughs) Truth is sometimes going to hit a script, and we're not going to like it. You know? But you know what? The inoculation, the needles is awful scary, isn't it? When, they come, when, that, when that nurse comes at you with the needle. Come on over here. You know, I got seven at, the, at one time once. Four in one arm and three in the other. I was getting ready to go to Africa, and they said, well, look, you need, look, you need all these inoculations. And I was like, well, give them to me. And she looked at me, you sure? I said, go for it. I kind of thought better of that afterward, but anyway. But man, they're coming, and Jamie knows that, in the military, don't they do the same thing to you? You guys become pin cushions. But, uh, <laughs> but anyway, but here's my analogy. The nurse comes at you with that needle. That represents truth. That represents the serum. That represents something that's going to help you. Miss Pearl, who is one of our nurses, she's coming. Now, I, I'd rather have Pearl do it. But anyway, because she's so sweet. She probably makes it a whole lot easier. But man, she's coming with, at you with the truth. But that's where a lot of us stop. Oh, there it is. There it is. There's the needle. Hey, what'd you do today? I looked at the needle. Okay, cool, but did you get the serum? Did they stab you with it? I mean, did it get in your arm? Oh, no. Why would I do that? That hurts. Yeah, but that's what changes you. That's what protects you. That's what gets into your your system and does what it's supposed to do. Truth hurts. Truth has got to penetrate. Truth has got to get inside you. And that means you've got to roll up your sleeve, baby, and you've got to take it. And you've got to let it get inside you. And, you know, sometimes we do fear truth. But Jesus said that truth is going to do it. It's going to set you free. And it's going to do so many wonderful things. The Word of God. The wonderful inoculation. The wonderful thing that, that literally transforms. You know, scientists, over and over again, they discover the power of the Word of God, and nobody, you're not going to see it on NBC, ABC, CBS. You're not going to see it out there. But man, if you read the Word of God and your mind has been damaged through trauma or through addictions or whatever it might, or pornography, and you've rewired your brain in some way, do you know that the Bible has been proven to affect the, the brain? That it literally gets inside there and can rewire it the way God intended it to be. No one can figure out why. Well, of course we know why. It's God. It's truth. We get pattern. We go back to the pattern, to the one who created the brain. And when truth is in there, it begins to do what truth is supposed to do. So, and we're going to change that world, folks, and we've got to get it in us. So, this is what we're called to do. Instead of getting in the way or hurting the church by doing things that, that, again, not coming into being world changers, this is what we're called to do. Is one, we've got to preach the precious message of Jesus Christ. We can't let it be stopped up inside us. We've got to speak it, man. We've got to keep talking Jesus. 
we got to talk him up, right? We need to do that. We need to embrace the teachings of Jesus so that we can experience freedom in our souls to break the bondages that are holding us back. Break those things. That's what Jesus did. John the Baptist was confused. He's like, look, man, why aren't you raising up an army and, and why aren't we marching on Rome? He said, look, the lame are walking. The blind are seeing. The demon-possessed are now free. And simple fishermen who no one would ever imagine could ever do anything are now changing the world. That's cool stuff right there. But that's what the Word of God will do. Discover and walk in our purpose. This is what we're called to do. Discover it and walk in it. And this requires learning to hear from God and walk with Him daily. And so I want you to be praying about that. I want you to pray. I'm going to pray over you today when we finish here in just one moment. I want to ask God, as I kind of pull this series together, I want to ask God to open our ears to hear what the Spirit of God is speaking to us individually and to repair our hearing if there's a brokenness there. And then finally, we need to rise up and change the world together and do it together as a team. Because you know what? One might put to flight 1,000, right? Two what? 10,000. That's right. It's not superiority in numbers. It's superiority in unity. That's a biblical principle right there. Coming together under the banner of Jesus Christ, there's really nothing we can't do. So as we move forward toward expand, you're going to hear more about what God has placed in my heart to do in practical ways, and it's going to create seats on a bus. In some cases, literally. But it's going to create seats on a bus, and we need to get into those seats, okay? Nobody's going to force us. Nobody's going to beat anyone. We're not going to have the deadbeat Christian of the month uh, uh, PowerPoint. Okay, so let's see who's not doing anything in the church today. Hey, going to run up there. Oh, there he is. No, I'm kidding. Uh, not going to do that. That's silliness. You know, that's the Holy Spirit's job. All right? And, you know, and, you know people do different things with that. Some people just say, well, look, I, I don't want to get anywhere near the bus. So you just take off. Well, can't do anything about that either except give you a call and say, hey, man, where are you? We love you. But if we're going to get it done, we got to get on. Isn't that right? Got to get on. So, read a story recently, and I'll finish with this, um, where this man was sitting on a, he was on a fishing boat with two other guys, and, and uh, Andrew, you were telling me about this, read it. And this guy was sitting, he was dipping into the cooler, and there was this hatch that was kind of spring-loaded, and he undid the hatch, and it popped him up, and he had the, the part of the handle of a cooler in his hand, it, it literally just broke, the, it hit him so hard, he took the cooler handle with him, threw him off to the back of the boat. The other two guys are sleeping in the cabin. It's a fishing boat, and it's on autopilot, just trawling. He's in the water. Nobody's in the water. I mean, nobody knows he's in the water. And the boat goes on. He's yelling, not going to wake anybody up. And there he is. Left to himself, probably going to die. And so, you know, a lot goes through your head when that happens. And yet this guy began to dig deep inside him, which is so very unique. 
Because most of us, we would have just sit there and we'd have said, well, shoot, which way is land? It starts swimming. You know, he was mile, 40 miles from land. And there's not a one of us who can swim that far. And, we, you know, we would have been dead by morning, most of us. But this guy dug into something because he was a fisherman. He began to realize that there were buoys out there. And he began to, he, he didn't panic, and he began to dip into something that I want to just kind of say it was a truth. It was an understanding. It was something that he knew and was placed since he was a small boy. And he just said, I can get to one of those buoys. He tried to swim toward one, but he was going against a current, couldn't get there. He took his boots off, and they were flotation devices because he had water in those boots, and, that, and he had to keep filling them up to keep them up. All night long, swimming, swimming, it got further away. Instead of panicking, he realized, you know what, I've got to go with the flow. And so he realized, well, there's going to be a buoy on the other side. So I'm just going to let the current take me to that other buoy. And sure enough, took him right in approximation of it. He was able to get up on that buoy. He tied himself on that with his boot strings and figured, well, at least if my family find me, they'll find me here. They'll have a body to bury. But they did a massive search for him, and there they found him on the buoy. And they said, look, <laughs> that was the smartest thing you could have ever done. And you know what? In our lives, we got to dip down into what we know is true because you know what? Sometimes that happens. Man, we get thrown off the boat. We get, we get lost, and that's exactly what happens. There's not a one of us in this room that does not feel some confusion from time to time or that we feel like we're just kind of lost. I mean, you know, a death in, that, in our family, a, a, a struggle with a battle with our health or a financial catastrophe. It doesn't matter. We, we all get thrown off the boat from time to time. But the key is to find the, find the stream, man, and to dip into what we know. And that is Jesus is out there, and he's always ready to gather us up, ready. We can tie ourselves to him, and he's our rescue. He's our place. He's our hope. Get us back on the boat. You know what? It, it's the story concluded with, you know what? He's not traumatized. He's right back on that fo- boat fishing again. And this is what he said. You know, he said, I was just so glad I remembered those buoys. And that's where we go. We've got to remember our Jesus. Amen? We've got to remember that he died for us and that he has brought truth, truth that, that will set us free in every area of our life. So if you're floating around and you're out, out there and you've got whatever those, those boots are up under your shoulders and you're, and you're trying to just make it, man, you know, don't do that anymore. Let the current of his spirit take you to him. All right? Let's do that this morning.